Welcome to Evolve to Succeed, the podcast that brings together entrepreneurs, founders, business leaders, and experts to talk about their journeys and explore the link between personal and business success. I'm your host, Juan Munson, founder of Evolve, a coaching, training, and development company focused on enabling business and personal success and creating a community of like-minded individuals. Whether that be through our peer groups, one-to-one coaching, our training and development programs for you and your teams, or through our content and events, our mission is to get the best out of each individual and inspire them to be better both in life and in business. If you want to learn more about Evolve, including our beautiful co-working space in Ashley Cross in Paul, then please go to evolvemembers.com where you'll find great content, insights, details of all of our services and also information on our forthcoming events. For now though, let's get on with the show. For those who have heard of him, Alistair Humphreys will need no introduction. For those of you who haven't, Alistair is a British adventurer who has taken on and completed some incredible challenges, including cycling around the world, walking across India, transversing Iceland and the Arctic, rowing across the Atlantic and crossing deserts from Oman to Dubai. I first came across Alistair when he spoke at our Inspire conference a few years ago. And because of him, I took my team on an overnight camping trip to Brownsea Island, and the team also climbed Snowdon for sunrise. He is the creator behind Micro Adventure, a concept which encourages everyday people to create small, manageable and achievable adventures for themselves. Alistair's view is that you don't need to go on grand expeditions to feel adventurous. He says that adventure is just an attitude and that if you think that something feels like an adventure to you, it is one. I think it's a great philosophy. Not only does it make you realise that even with a regular 9 to 5 job, you can also regularly bring some adventure to your life. There's also no excuse not to. I was excited to have Alistair speak at the opening event for our recent Evolve Business Festival a couple of weeks ago. But I was even more excited when he kindly agreed to do this podcast with me a few hours before he is due to go on stage. During our conversation, Alistair speaks honestly about his own anxieties, his struggles with being a brand, and how he managed to feed his adventurous spirit even during lockdown. He also provides some tips on how you can make better use of your free time, gives ideas for your own micro-adventures, and reveals the scariest thing he's ever done. It's not what you would imagine. Alistair, welcome to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you on the podcast. I'm really excited about our conversation. You've inspired me to undertake some micro adventures of my own and with my team. So I'm sure we'll talk about that during the course of the conversation. But we should kick off to put it in some context for the listeners. Uh, Tell us a little bit about your adventures and some of the life that you've led, Alistair. Okay, so I started by having big adventures and they've gone smaller ever since. So I I started by spending four years cycling 46,000 miles around the world through 60 countries. And um, I hoped at the time that going around the world would sort of cure me of my wanderlust and help me want to just allow me to just get on with real life afterwards. But in actual fact, what I realized by going all the way around the world was quite how little of the world I'd seen. So it actually just gave me an appetite for more adventure. So over the next decade, I um, did things like I walked across India. um, I uh, trekked across the empty quarter desert from um, Oman to Dubai. 
I um, rode across the Atlantic Ocean, um, (laughs) did some expeditions up in the Arctic. I crossed Iceland. Um, I played my violin very badly through Spain busking. Um, uh, So they they were some some of the big adventures I did. And then gradually I got moved on to a smaller phase, which I called micro-adventures, which you said we're going to talk about later. Yeah, perfect. So, I mean, definitely cycling around the world did not scratch the itch in any way, shape or form then, did it? it? It didn't. And actually... One thing it really helped me with is before I started Big Adventures, I thought I'd like to have adventures, but I can't because I'm not an adventurer. I'm just a normal guy. And this is always the problem when you want to begin anything, isn't it? Yeah. You you don't belong until you belong and you can't start. You can't get into it until you start. So cycling around the world actually gave me a lot of self-confidence in that I thought, well, I've actually done a big adventure now. Therefore, I've got some sort of credentials to do more adventures. And I think that just that, that first step, the f- getting on with the first big adventure is, was, the, in many ways, the hardest part for yeah, me. definitely. But what really inspired you into a life of adventure then? Because even starting off with, I'm going to cycle around the world, isn't a small life of adventure. That's quite a big step in itself. So what inspired you? And from what age were you inspired, inspired for a life of adventure? Um, there are a few different factors, one, one sort of pushing, one sort of pulling, but nothing really began till I was a young adult, really a student, and I got into reading travel and adventure and expedition books and really loved all those crazy stories. Um, at the same sort of time, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life, what sort of job to do when I grew up. So I thought I'd have an adventure rather than just getting into some job I hated, I'd have an adventure first and then figure out my life. So that was the sort of adventure to try and figure things out a bit in my life. But then also the slightly more positive angle to it was reading all these books of people doing big adventures made me think, wow, that is so exciting. I'd love to try something like that myself. And yeah. so that, that encouragement towards something as well. So you obviously had that kind of basis of you had a dream, you had a goal, you, had, you wanted to go out and do this. There's a lot of people that have their, get those kind of goals but don't necessarily take the first step or there's fear that stops them from doing that. What do you think that number one fear is and any ideas and tips on how people can overcome it? Well, I think there's the fear of looking a fool, mm. um, of perhaps seeming boastful you're sort of suggesting something that seems a bit beyond your station at the time yeah. um so i think that's a part of it the older imposter syndrome um there's also i think just an inherent laziness in all of us that you have a big exciting idea which is really exciting when you're lying in bed at night and then you wake up the next morning and start writing down all the things that need it's doing reality check so, oh maybe. man this yeah. is going to be really really hard work for a really really long time and then you can't be bothered and just get on with normal life because it's much easier day to day. So I think that's a aspect of yeah. it. Um, and then I think there's just a, I think a lot of people, myself included, our natural inclination is to think about the what if this bad thing happens? What if I fail? What if it goes wrong? What if it doesn't mm. work? And we don't often spend much time us thinking, but what if it does work? What if it goes right? What if it? Yeah. What if this is what I want to do? The sort of positive sides of it is it's harder for those. I think those voices tend to get overshadowed in our yeah. minds, certainly in my mind. And do you think you? So therefore, before you start any of your adventures, do you th- do you visualise them before you start to get into that positive mindset, or do you think you're the same as everybody else, but just are bold enough to take the first step? Well, I think. The good thing about trying to get yourself to go and do adventures is that the visualizing part of it is 
pretty fun and exciting you know the thought of cycling around the world you think of all the quite cool stuff that that entails the the actual humdrum routine boring frightening tedious huge swathes of that like any big project uh, you tend to not really imagine so I find that found the imagining part of it was not really a problem the the difficulty was just committing to action yeah. and so on some adventures I've done that commitment might be buy the plane ticket to that country because then you're You've yeah. spent a big amount of cash buying a plane ticket to India. So now you've got to go there. And once you get there, you might as well just start walking and walk across southern India. Um, or quite often I make myself commit by just announcing it to the world, to my friends, my family, put it on my website, say, I'm going to go do this thing. <laughs> yeah. And then you have to go to do it. But always I find it hard. I always find it frightening at the start of a project, frightening and a hassle rather than exciting. That's yeah. my default at the start. And do you think that's changed because this is, you know, this is your job now? You know, it's become more than this kind of, I'm going to have a life of adventure. It's kind of how you support yourself and support your family and, you know, through writing the books that go with it and all of the other media commitments and speaking at events, as you're going to do later this evening at our own event. Does um, that taken any of the fun out of it? Or does, it, does that just mean it's the manner in which you can live this life of adventure? Um, I think my, the life of adventure now for me involves so much more than just riding my bicycle around. So you have to, I have to think about documenting the story, how I'm going to tell the story and then I have to come home and I have to tell the story and I have yeah. to market myself and I have to show off about myself on the internet. And there's a huge amount of things that are involved much more than just going for the bike ride. And if I didn't enjoy all of those aspects or most of those aspects, then then I wouldn't do it. You know, I, I could very well have adventures by getting some job that pays for loads of money and demand I get a two month sabbatical every year and go yeah. and ride my bike. So th there's lots of ways you can live adventurously. But I really enjoy the storytelling and the communication and the sharing side of things as well. So I enjoy that aspect of yeah. the work. And that does feel like work, but it's work that I enjoy. Okay. And well, I'm going to come back to one of the points you made there because there is a bit, when I first met you, and this is only the second time we've met, we've spoken once or twice in between, but I first met you in 2016. I'm a keen cyclist. It was the, if I'm being honest, it was the fact that you'd cycled around the world. I wanted to hear that story. And I remember that you got on, up on stage and nearly the first thing you said was, but I'm just like all of you. And it was a really humble comment. And the whole presentation and the way in which you present yourself to the outside world is very humble, which is great. You know, it's one of the things I admire in you, Alistair. But part of you has to be, look at me, look at me. And surely that has some difficulty for you. Yes, yeah, so um, it is weird to be a, a one-man brand. <laughs> yeah. see, even now I do the air quotes around the word brand <laughs> yeah. because it's so obnoxious. So I have come to accept that if I'm going to sell books, then I have to show off about myself enough so that people think I'm interesting. Yeah. Um, so I have to show off about myself, but without believing my own BS. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also I think I do emphasize a lot that I'm an ordinary person. And I do that not in some sort of attempt to be a humble brag. It's just that no. I know that a lot of the reasons I want people to look at me and say, well done, is because I grew up feeling very ordinary. I was never very good at anything particularly and I always wanted to shine in some aspect of life and to do something 
big and bold and extraordinary with my life. Yeah. Um, even if that's something as irrelevant really as going on a really long journey and being willing to suffer for a really long time, <laughs> at least I found something now that I'm good at. And, and I do, I have to, I do admit that I like that side yeah. of things. The flip side to that though, is that I also feel very conscious that my life, my working life as a speaker and a writer is very much dependent on me continuing to be interesting and continuing to have the next exciting, yeah. interesting thing. And I really don't like that. And particularly yeah. so since lockdown, when for two years I've basically done nothing, I feel increasingly, well, I, I, I want my future stories to be at least as interesting as the adventure stories from years ago. And that yeah. is a, that's a worry that then t in a way can, take the adventure side from just being a pure fun hobby thing yeah. becomes a bit more of a bigger existential worry then about my my hobbies my purpose and my working life yeah and so I suppose we should talk about that horrible c-word covid and how it's affected you have you found the opportunity therefore you know we talk about adventures on your doorstep is one of the phrases that you use to get more local and, and explore your local area? What have you done to be adventurous in the last two years, Alistair? Well, pre-COVID, I'd already spent quite a lot of years doing what I call micro-adventures and yeah. sp doing, spending a lot of time on the internet trying to encourage people to, having, to have short, simple, local, cheap, accessible adventures close to home. And I've been really banging on about micro-adventures yeah. for years now and have written a book about it. Um, and... And that's become a far more interesting part to me of my adventuring identity than the, the big, tough, macho stuff I used to do. The fact that I uh, go and sleep on little hills in suburban towns feels much more real and interesting to me these days. But nonetheless, when COVID and lockdown came, then even my small micro-adventures were completely curtailed. Yeah, there was a period where you couldn't really go more than a mile yeah. or whatever it was from your front door wasn't we, it we couldn't do anything and even when we could do anything it didn't feel I didn't feel comfortable or that it was appropriate for me to be yeah. encouraging people off to go do stuff as well so I started really trying to explore even more locally than I'd ever done before okay. so um, I spent a few months trying to run every single street from my front door like obsessively down down, <laughs> down the, the little alleyways down the dead ends marking it on Strava really obsessively um but it was fascinating I found a street 400 meters from where I live I've lived there for over a decade that I didn't know existed and I call myself a curious explorer and there's <laughs> me ex finding something new um and I've then I've since spent the last year really trying to rigorously explore the map that I live on you know those uh, hiking maps yes that, the, hiking maps the open out really big ones but they're only about 20 kilometers by 20 kilometers each marked into one kilometer grid square so 20 by 20 you've got 400 squares i decided to start exploring one square a week in great detail and i worried as someone who loves going off to far off places i worried that exploring a little map in suburban southeastern england was going to be so boring and frustrating yeah. but the first day that I went out to properly explore one grid square my mind was just exploded there is so much here yeah. I know this map well I run I cycle here all the time but there are so many things I've never seen before I've never stopped to notice I've never paid attention um, and by the end of the year I was thinking 
I need way more than one year to explore this map. I could spend my, <laughs> I could spend my entire life on this map and not wow. know it well. Because you can explore it through the, you know, the, the, the simple way, the cycling, the footpaths, the running, yeah. the, that sort of thing. But you could get interested in the history of a map, which in England will go back for thousands of years. I could start knocking on people's doors and doing podcasts about uh, yeah. the million people who live on that map. The possibilities to live adventurously in one small local place have hugely expanded in my mind since lockdown locked us all down and stopped the exploring and there's the passion i love about living an adventurous life on mm. your doorstep alistair you've well, just kind of shown it to yeah. you know to our listeners in that short excerpt of what you've been up to well i haven't it's interesting because i've only just finished my year of doing it yeah. about a week or so ago and i haven't actually done a podcast for two years okay. uh, partly because of what i said a bit earlier about just feeling fraudulent really of i'm not really doing anything interesting <laughs> yeah. so what have i got to talk about um but yeah it's really what i've really learned from the small things that came from the big things is just the cure to be curious to yeah. force yourself to be curious to force yourself to be enthusiastic and to force yourself to begin and once you force those things they very quickly start to come naturally and to snowball and um yeah and suddenly there seems to be adventure and possibilities everywhere yeah definitely and what do you what's your feelings around kind of social media and all of that kind of thing because in a way you know all of us and maybe we'll talk about the younger generations in a moment but all of us are nearly force-fed kind of information aren't we our ability to be curious some would say is diminishing because everything we supposedly need is put in front of us and when we pick up our phones so what's your feelings on technology and how that's making or stopping people being curious gosh um i could talk for a long time about this i mean on one side social media has been wonderful and it's made my career possible yeah, it's by, made what you do every day happen hasn't yeah it? exactly i'm telling stories and able i've been able to grow sufficient of an audience to make it a viable life yeah. um i've really enjoyed the storytelling aspect i really enjoy when i'm on an adventure thinking how will i capture this experience in photos videos words and share that how will i do i really enjoy that part of it but I'm also very conscious that if I'm not careful, it can detract from the moment rather mm. than me enjoying this meditative, beautiful sunset. I'm thinking, oh, how can I share this meditative, beautiful sunset <laughs> online and make myself look really popular and clever? Um, so there's that there's social media from that side. Then social media as a consumer, there's yeah. the risks of just looking down at your phone rather than looking out at yeah. the world. There's the risk of only looking at social media that tells you the things that you already know and that you mm. already feel. But I think with a bit of curiosity, there is so much on there. One, one thing I started to do with this map was I'd go out, I'd look around the map and I'd take loads of pictures and write notes. And then I'd come home and I'd just start Googling all this random stuff that I'd found. An old drain pipe or a curious kind of parasite on the tree that i didn't know about yeah. or this weird little stream going into an underground culvert or something and once you start googling and suddenly there's just a rabbit warren of fascinating stuff out yeah. there so i think if you you need to be you need like a lot of things you just need to consciously choose how you approach social media as a poster or as a user yeah. Yeah, does that answer your question i think it does doesn't it and and how do you think you know i've got two young daughters I know you've got some sons. How do you inspire them into a life of adventure and perhaps away from 
the social media, the phones, their devices? I think you lead by example. Yeah. Um, I go to when I go to playgrounds, I try and climb to the top of the highest thing. Yeah. Uh, when I go to the park, uh, I climb a tree. And if kids are too grumpy to come, then I'll just say, well, go and climb it on your own. Before you know it, they're up there with you. So, yeah, um, yeah just do as I do, don't not yeah. as I say. Lead by example. I love yeah. that, definitely. And, you know, talking about micro-adventures, so perhaps, you know, just to, let's explore that further. So, Two of the things that we've done as a team is we left the office at four o'clock. We walked to Pearl Harbor. We got on a boat. We went to Brancy Island. We camped overnight on Brancy Island. Brilliant. Following morning, did the journey in reverse and went back to work. Um, and then the other adventure we did, we went to Snowden and climbed it for sunrise. Fantastic. Um, so, but they, you know, but they were inspired by hearing you in 2016, Alistair, and and this concept of a micro adventure that you know micro adventures, you know, adventure doesn't have to be grand, it doesn't have to be cycling around the world. You can leave the office at five o'clock, and you know, have a little micro adventure before the morning starts again. Um, what has made you so passionate about that as a concept? Well. You have a choice if you've got a proper working job like you and your team. <laughs> Responsibility. Yeah, yeah. Of you can either dream of one day having the adventure of a lifetime and you're sitting in front of your spreadsheets dreaming that one day you'll go on a big adventure, um, which is great, but you can also try and have a lifetime of living adventurously a little bit every day, trying to squeeze stuff in around the margins of our busy yeah. working days. I think what I find interesting about what you did is we all, well, you with a proper job, you get bogged down with the nine to five, nine to five. And you think, oh, I can't have adventures because of the nine to five. But actually that's only eight hours of the day. Yeah. And I know in reality, there's a lot more gets in the way than that. But as a thought experiment, I think it's really interesting how much we define ourselves by the nine to five, that eight hours of work, yeah. rather than by defining ourselves by, from the five to nine. And in theory, we have these other 16 hours of the day, the other two thirds of our entire lives that we tend to not really mention. We really gloss over that. That's yeah. a huge amount of time, which on a practical sense, you could use occasionally to go camping with your office yeah. colleagues or climbing a mountain. But I think more generally, it's just a, a way of thinking. It's a way of trying to think what opportunities are there to be a bit more adventurous rather than what constraints are getting yeah. in my way, the nine to five. So it's just trying to broaden your mind to think what might be possible. Yeah. And I hope that's interesting to people on the practical sense of actually going on adventures, but maybe just a bit wider, more widely in terms of what they might want to do with their life and also the way they approach their work and what yeah. are, just thinking a little bit differently about things. It's, it is true, isn't it? You know, you can quite easily get constrained in everyday life and, you know, the everyday you know, going to work, you know, going home, looking after the kids, all of that. But that turning that thought process on its head and thinking, I have free time, what mm -hmm. do I do with the free time? And how do I make the most of that? Yeah. Is a way of, of just changing a perspective yeah. and a lens, isn't it? And what can I do with the kids that is exciting? Yeah. And, and, are, and, and yeah. takes them on a journey. Yeah. Uh, there are experiments, which I'm sure you will have read about, where some companies tr try to take, instead of having the five-day week, they bring it down to the four-day week, yeah. and they notice that productivity doesn't change or actually goes up. Yeah. Or it's a few companies that just, well, the, the famous uh, 
book by the guy from Patagonia, Let My People Go Surfing, yeah. where, where the ethos is, if the surf's up, then go surfing. I don't really care when you come into the office as long as you get your work done. There's a, quite a lot more creative ways to think about our working lives and just i must sit there from nine to five yeah, even it. if the sun's shining i'm gonna chain myself to this desk and that's all i'm allowed to do yeah. i suppose in a way the whole pandemic has helped that hasn't it because we've all moved or well, most organizations have moved to some form of hybrid working um and i know our teams really appreciate that because it does mean that when they finish the day and they're not commuting they can go and do the other things in life that they love a lot easier mm, yeah um, the, the flip side of that though perhaps is that you don't get to leave the office, yeah. you know, that psychological switching off of work. Yeah. And therefore, I think it can, it's been a challenge for a lot of people to leave work behind if their kitchen table is their work and their home. Yeah. And I think in that sense, this, these small little micro adventures can be really important for that. Just trying to get a tiny little dose of nature in your daily life yeah. to try and separate the different aspects of your life. So let's um, inspire our listeners with some other ideas, Alistair. So you've talked about getting the OS map, exploring the squares. Uh, you've talked about going and sleeping on top of a hill. What other ideas could you inspire our listeners with? Uh, I talked about running every street. Yeah. Um, I've also, for three years now, been climbing a tree every month. Okay. <laughs> and I schedule this into my calendar. See, now I'm scared. I'd climb a tree and get stuck. <laughs> okay. Well, I schedule this in like I'm a proper businessman now into my monthly calendar. So my first Wednesday of the month, ding, ding, climb tree. Close laptop, go climb tree. I usually take a cup of tea up into my tree and I just sit there for 20 minutes and I look around and I notice how the wood has... I always climb the same tree. So I notice how the wood has changed since I was last there a month ago. I think a little bit about how my work has gone in the last month. And I maybe imagine forward about what my goals are in yeah. the next month of work. And uh, I notice that the universe has been ticking along quite happily yeah. whilst I've been fretting away about my emails. And then I finish my cup of tea, go back down get on with the emails and crack on with life again. And that I've found to be such a simple but restorative and sort of, sort of symbolic little meditative process, yeah. really. Yeah, very much so. It's it's playful. I mean, it's very yeah. silly for a middle-aged man to go climb a tree, <laughs> yeah. but I enjoy being silly. Yeah, um, It's a bit of physical activity and stretching. I always go to the same branch, which involves just one. So you have got a favourite tree. I do the same one every time, so okay. then I notice things changing. Okay. Yeah. Um, I go to the same branch, which involves one frightening step. So I have one little jolt of adrenaline. <laughs> yeah. I sit. I'm sitting in a digital detox for 20 minutes. There's a lot to be recommended for sitting in a Definitely. tree. And seeing nature change, isn't it? I mean, it's it's not comparable. But you know, I've got some favourite routes that I go on on my bike, and there's one with a beautiful avenue of trees that's about half a mile along and I love just riding that through all the seasons you know mm. starting in spring when you're just seeing it bud and then you go back two weeks later and there's some leaves coming in last weekend going there well two weeks ago went there and the leaves are still green and I'm like what's happening here it's nearly November mm. went back on Saturday and the leaves are start are brown and starting to fall and it's just yeah for me that puts a smile on my mm. face and I suppose it's like you're saying let the universe see the universe play and I think You've, you've experienced that and I've only in the last few years started to experience it really is that once you start to notice yeah. those trees you really pay attention you've started to notice now ah oh, it's November but the trees are still green 
Um, most people wouldn't notice no. that change. I've noticed that very much this year. It's very, very green, very yeah, late. And and I love then after the winter comes when you first notice the gr- the greenness, you'll suddenly one day on your ride notice it's gone green. And and every time you go there is different, isn't it? Yeah. And um, yeah, there's a it's it's lovely. It's fantastic, definitely. And you were talking about there about you know that big leap or that step you have to make when you climb the trees. There's that old saying, isn't there? Do something that every day that scares you just a little. Do you really think that's possible? Do you believe in that kind of old wives' tale and saying? Um, I don't suppose most of us do something every day that physically scares us. Um, And so I think it's more about the... an attitude of the way you choose things. So trying to make it maybe a decision at work of this is a bit of a risky thing to do or daring yourself to phone up some mentor type person for a conversation or or it's just trying to push yourself a little bit every day, I think perhaps more than scare yourself every day. Um, And I certainly, I think as we start to wake up post pandemic, I think that would be a really helpful thing, certainly for me to do after a Mm. year, after two years of very much enforced cruising mode yeah. to just dare myself to start to ramp it up a little bit and, and I found in myself that I, I feel reluctant to do that in many ways so it's having to be a conscious thing to start to to yeah. re-energize and reawaken push yourself beyond yeah. that comfort zone again yeah once again yeah wow and that's that's interesting even for you of somebody that wants to venture wants to challenge themselves to feel like that like what are you doing to push those boundaries you know is there a big challenge that you're setting yourself is there another big adventure coming there won't be any big adventures for a while i've got the big adventure of being a dad to deal with which is (laughs) that is the best big adventure it's considerably more exhausting than (laughs) rowing oceans crossing deserts simultaneously so that's my main focus in life these days and then uh trying to fit the micro adventures around that as much for exactly the reasons I've been encouraging other people to do it yeah. for years, I'm encouraging it onto myself now to just try and keep squeezing adventure in around the margins of life and try and encourage others to do that too. Fantastic. And so one of the things, you know, just in life in general, but maybe something that you could share from some of those challenges that you have done that have really pushed you to the limits. And I think it applies in life just generally that we hit that brick wall sometimes is there any coping strategy that you've ever developed or mantra that you turn to when you do hit that limit? You know, when you do think you've hit that point where I can't go on, I can't, you know, I can't push myself anymore. I can't play the violin in front of people I don't know anymore. I'm going to come back to that story as well because I love that. So, but yeah, have you got a coping strategy or mantra that you've followed over the years? I'm not so sure about a mantra, but I find that um, one of the reasons my first big adventure was so difficult was because I had no prior experience to fall back on. But as that trip progressed, as I got to some point that I thought was going to be too difficult, either physically or emotionally or logistically or politically with visas or whatever, and somehow found a way to wriggle through it and carry on, that I found so helpful for them the next time it happens is to look back and think, oh, well, I did that before, so maybe I can do this now. Um, And... So that then is a case of momentum, really. So momentum relying on past failures or past near failures. Um, I'm always very conscious, though, that that doesn't help anyone who's doing something for the first time. Um, The momentum is the most valuable of things, but until you've got it, 
you haven't got <laughs> you it. You haven't got it, yeah. have you? And it's that first step again, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. And that then comes down to you've just what well, you've just got to start by doing the tiny, tiny little thing to get you creeping forwards, and then take the next tiny little step to and, keep you creeping forwards and get that ball kind of gradually, rolling and moving. Gradually rolling, yeah. So people listening to this will probably think it's all about those adventures of rowing the Atlantic, cycling the world, even, you know, the micro adventures, climbing trees, they're all quite physical. But one of your biggest challenges, you would say, in life wasn't particularly physical at all, was it? But it was pushing your boundaries and your comfort zones. So perhaps tell our listeners the violin story, please. Okay, so (laughs) this slightly links to the last answer, actually, which I spent... I don't know, 10 or more years doing big expeditions. And when you do anything for 10 or more years, you hopefully get good at it and you get yeah. competent at it. And the reasons I wanted to do adventure in the first place was I wanted to push myself, challenge myself, scare myself. I wanted uncertainty and surprise and that gnawing fear of failure with the reward of the excitement when you... The adrenaline yeah, of its success. Of its success. Yeah. That's what I wanted from big adventures. But... After 10 years of rowing and running and cycling in wild places in the world, I was pretty good at all of that. And and in a way, it became my own comfort zone. And just because you're just because I was good at doing big expeditions, that didn't mean that I was amazing, some sort of legend. It meant I was just cruising along yeah. in my comfort zone. And so if I really wanted to get all of those feelings back in my life, the the fear, the uncertainty, the doubt, the what am I doing sort of terror then I needed to try and tackle things very very differently so my favorite travel book is from the 1930s a guy called Laurie Lee who walked across Spain playing his violin it's called as I walked out one midsummer morning and I first read it at university and I loved it and I always thought I'd love to go do that trip but I can't because I can't play the violin and performing in public, singing, dancing, karaoke. I hate all that <laughs> stuff. It terrifies me. It's not hate you, it. hey? It's not me. <laughs> I hate it. Therefore, I can't do that journey. So then when I was reassessing things, I was thinking, I can't do that. Therefore, that's exactly what I need to do. I need to yeah. try, give that a go. So I uh, started to get violin lessons, which were way harder than I thought. It was a disaster. <laughs> I was terrible at it. It sounded awful. Um, But I just thought, I'm going to go and give it a try anyway. So I deliberately never did any practice busking in the UK. So I never played in front of people in the UK to test it out. I wanted full (laughs) fear. Full fear and exposure in Spain. vulnerability and immersion. So I never busked until I arrived in Spain. I emptied the final few coins out of my pocket, left them on a park bench and walked out into Spain with no money, no credit card for a whole month with only my busking to (laughs) fund me and I'd never tried it before so that first time I stood up in a town square got out my violin set up my music stand and started to go (laughs) was exactly I realized that was the most afraid I'd felt since the day I set off to row across the Atlantic Ocean and I found that really interesting because rowing across the Atlantic sounds like quite a scary thing to do there's big waves and capsize and sharks and death and all that sort of stuff good adventure stuff what was I scared of here I was just playing a violin in a sunny plaza on a lovely little Spanish town that's not scary at all but I was vulnerable I was exposed I was doing something that I wasn't an expert at I was being a beginner and as an adult we're terrified of all of those things I was worried that people would laugh at me which is 
the sort of thing you're meant to worry about at primary school. Yeah. But actually, most of us, I think, continue to worry about that throughout, throughout our life, life really. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was completely and utterly vulnerable. I was terrified. I was excited. I felt all the same emotions as you might do on top of a big cliff before jumping into a deep river. It was definitely an adventure. And all I was doing was playing the violin, which I hope broadens up the definition of adventure yeah. enormously. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, yeah, which is why, and I suppose that that's probably something for people to take away, isn't it? Is, you know, adventure isn't always physical. Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, you somebody might be sat there listening to it. Well, I'm not physical. I'm, I'm not physically fit. I can't do some of that stuff. They can find a sense of adventure and challenge and adrenaline in something in everyday life. Yeah, whether that's in their hobbies or their actual job or some yeah. little side job you set up on the start, on the side, just yeah. for a bit of excitement and challenge. Yeah, I think it's more just an attitude that you choose to charge at life of, of just thinking... I'm just going to risk looking like an idiot. So I'm going to be curious and enthusiastic and just see what happens and, and ex go and for it. And explore the horizons. Yeah, and what's the worst that'll happen? I'll look like a bit of an idiot or yeah. whatever. I mean, you need to be careful with your what yeah. your liability is going to be. But <laughs> yeah. within reason, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. I'm a beginner. I look like an idiot. Go yeah. for it. Explore yourself. And what was really interesting with the Spain trip is that I was really rubbish at the violin. I'm not being humble here. I was really, really rubbish. And I think that actually helped me because people would look at me screeching away and they'd look at me like, what an... Oh, <laughs> look timely at that. Violin it's yeah. a violin you may be able to hear. <laughs> I tell you what, if you can hear that, that is actually the sound check from my talk later. That is, is my violin playing. It's terrible, isn't it? Yes, <laughs> it is. Yeah. So I played the violin really badly and people would just look at me and they're, what are you doing and they admire the boldness of just standing there going here i am yeah this, this is, is me, me. <laughs> take it for what it is and that's a frightening thing to do it's a very different to rowing off cycling off across a desert and actually far more interesting really yeah, absolutely and you got to the end of the 30 days i assume i lived like an absolute king i earned in 30 days, 120 euros. I mean, no man needs 120 euros to live off for a month. You can live like a king for that. So I walked 500 miles to Madrid okay. following Laurie Lee's route. I slept out in the hills. I cooked my rice on on campfires. I bought bread in the morning from the, uh, the bakery. And when I spent my money, I would play the violin again and I had a rule that whatever money I earned that day I had to spend it all immediately <laughs> so that the next time I got to a town I was back to zero back to desperation there was no again. reserves no so it was boom <laughs> or bust so sometimes it was half rations and dry bread one day it was a one day I could afford an ice cream and uh, okay. when you can actually when you've earned an ice cream well you, that's wow. proper <laughs> that's satisfaction it. perfect so as we round up our conversation Alistair just any last hints and tips that you'd want the listeners to take away about adventure being on your doorstep, the ability to undertake micro-adventures. There must be some critical tips that you would give. Yeah, I would, on an actual adventure level, I would say get the map that you live on, the hiking map that you live on, and go out and explore some footpaths and 
bridleways close to you. Perhaps try and visit every pub on your map or every church, whatever floats your boat. But f- look at your local map and go somewhere you've never been. If you go somewhere you've never been, you're being an explorer. Um, beyond that, I would challenge you to ask yourself really thoughtfully, ideally with a piece of uh, paper and a pen, what does living adventurously mean to me? To to ask, riff on that a bit. What does living adventurously mean to you? Think of the big things that that involves and then think of the very first tiny, tiny, tiny little step in that direction to get you moving and then dare yourself to do it by this weekend. And then you're off. You're off. You're up and running. Mm. It is called the Evolve to Succeed podcast and as I end every podcast, I use the same question. So I'm going to ask the same of you, Alistair. What is your personal definition of success? Wow. Well, interestingly, it will have evolved very much over many years. And I'm very glad it took me years to allow my definitions of things to evolve. For many years, I thought adventure equals this. My identity equals this even though 20 years was passing and I was very much changing. So allowing your definitions to evolve, I think, is really helpful and important. So these days, success for me would be to just be, um, get to the end of the day feeling that I'm calm, that I'm feeling happy, that I've got a thousand words of my next book written, that I've been out into nature a bit and I've been a good dad and friend for the day. That's all I'm after these days perfect definition thank you i've really enjoyed our conversation alistair i'm looking forward to you to hear you speak later at the festival and yeah thank you for being a great guest on the podcast if people want to learn more about you alistair where can they go well as i've spent a lot of time showing off about myself on the internet <laughs> yes. if you type in alistair humphreys into your social Anything. media or website <laughs> you should find me and i've got books on amazon got a podcast and i've got some really bad violin playing on youtube as well perfect your micro adventures book is superb it's brilliant i do recommend it listeners it does get the mind going as to what's achievable so thank you once again alistair brilliant thank you for having me thank you for listening to the evolve to succeed podcast my hope with every episode is that you've learned something new or heard something that challenged your way of thinking and further motivated you on your path towards becoming a more knowledgeable informed and inspired individual and business leader if you enjoyed this episode then please help us by rating reviewing and subscribing we really value your feedback and would love to have you along for future episodes and please don't forget to learn more about evolve by going to evolvemembers.com thank you for listening see you next week